Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatech compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're live here on YouTube with a great midweek Wednesday show, Sam. Yes. Um, we just pre-recorded because that's what we do sometimes. Pre-recorded our Nick Wright interview. We're going to have Nick Wright uh, from FS1, first things first. We're going to have Nick Wright on later. Always a great That's everywhere now. Yeah. Way back, in, way back when he was, you know, hosting his own little T or radio show you know in kansas city now he's all over the tv yeah and we, we really wanted to have him on because he had a a fun rant about analytics and rebranding analytics and um he does various, he does good rants does good a, rant. as a general well that's how you thumb. get tv shows is rants rants yes okay. good rants i have one in me like every month or two yeah you're you're way low down on the old the ranting i can do more rants i can do one per show maybe I think you should do yeah. a rant per show i'll have my own show on uh FS1, maybe. You've reached that point in life, though, where you've just, you're so jaded that it takes a lot to get you worked up about something, you know? <laughs> it does. Been, when you're in your you're 40s. Beaten down, browbeaten, yeah. downtrodden. You no, know, this doesn't just, surprise me. Yeah. Nothing around. Every now and again, randomly, probably due to, it's like, you know, probably something happened that morning with the kids. You know, you got woken up at 4 a.m. and you're cranky. But, like, something will happen, yeah. right? And there'll be a video out there, and you'll snap a little bit. And you'll be, then you'll go off, and, and it's usually off the podcast, right? It's like, let me just bitch about this for the next three minutes. You're like, yeah, okay. Should have kept that for the air. Right. You should yeah. save that one, or, or today, I should have Today could you. be the day, because I was late for the podcast, because uh, my wife, it's, it's her fault. She was going to go run some errands. I wouldn't I, rant about your wife. No, I'm not going to do that. On air, just, but, just, but, uh, but I'm saying I'm fired up enough that I could get mad about something else not rant about her she's wonderful i mean she made a mistake today but she's wonderful anyway okay. we're gonna have a, we're gonna review a little monday night football we'll do uh, our explain the grade we'll get into nick Wright. perfect the whole thing yeah so we've had a we, the other thing we need to do is push people towards giving us a uh, suggested charity for the next thing and a suggested thing that we can do you know we i tried to pitch a baseball 60 miles an hour and succeeded for what mm. it's worth. Um, so NFL podcast at PFF.com. Hit charity in the subject line somewhere so we can flag those ones and see them. But we've had multiple people now suggest that it should be involving you and rugby in some way, shape, or form. So I think that's a good one. Uh, this one by Dean 
a pucker. Where's a the one where they put they you pick pick them up to catch yeah, the yeah. ball? Like a lineout. I, line I was out. thinking that. Anyway, well, I, I've got some things on the on the back burner. We'll talk about those later. Great. This guy had an email that I think suggests that sort of sums up the uh, the feeling the, the feeling from the people. Sam attempted a challenge in a sport he has no experience in. I say we have Steve attempt a challenge in a sport he has no experience in. And then a lot of people have connected that to the rugby thing. Um, so I, I, I do like that one. Somebody else, Frank Newman, sent in an idea that I think was just funny enough and worth reading out. Uh, now that you guys have shown your world-class baseball skills, maybe you could try another sport for your next challenge. Again, you know, right along the lines of everybody else. But here's where we take it to somewhere dark. What if you guys played pickleball against the top-notch senior citizens team from your hometown? Uh, the older they are, the better, and maybe even two ladies. A related charity might be Meals on Wheels, since they serve <laughs> seniors mainly. I that that would be a rough self-esteem day. How do you play pickleball? It's like a cross between. It's like tennis, but with bats instead okay. of a racket on a smaller court it's really uh it's like a cross between table tennis and real tennis okay it's really becoming pretty popular huh? yeah i just think it would be a very bad self-esteem day if you and i got our ass kicked by a couple of 80 year old ladies playing no pickleball. ping pong tennis i'm not good at any of those i games. can't play tennis sports i hit the, the ball either goes into the net at a million miles an hour yeah. or a million miles over the net so we could that. harness your power. Maybe we could take out the senior citizens in pickleball here. <laughs> we could that would probably it. be our best hope of winning is yeah. injure them with the pickleball. I'm intrigued by that. I it would be hilarious, but it's one of those like how much of a uh, you know how much of an embarrassment do you want to make of yourself in public? That's whatever that is. That's that's around that line. I've got nothing else to lose at this point. And then my third favorite one. This one came in from Leland Reardon. Uh, I was immediately sold simply from the subject line, which was Palazzolo on ice. Oh, no. But the actual email is even better. Hi, Sam and Steve. Thank you so much for the podcast. It's hands down the most rigorous NFL analyst analysis out there, and you guys make it fun as well. The uh, Wait, hang on. This isn't what I'm looking for at all. Yeah, it is. Uh, the Week 9 review called for suggestions to test Steve's athletic prowess. Wow, that's a mouthful. Sam tossed out rugby, but come on, the dude is six foot ten. We already know he's big and strong. What the people want to know, nay, what they need to know, is whether this Herculean analyst has finesse. As fall blows briskly into winter, what the people need is Steve Palazzolo on ice. <laughs> you guys are the pros, so I'll let you toy with the details, but some potential challenges could be Sam and Steve race through an obstacle course, inline cones, a small jump, limbo, etc., backwards. Steve trains with a figure skater and performs a routine to be <laughs> judged by the listeners. We can't just play hockey? <laughs> how fast can Steve slap shot a puck? That Alternatively, how well can Steve defend a hockey goal? Oh, no. Uh, can Steve wrangle a group of 10 free-running penguins into the penalty box in under five minutes? That's 30 seconds per penguin if you go one at a time, but I'll let you guys tweak the details on that one. Uh, or anything else you guys can think of that would let Steve prove to the world that every inch and pound of his imposing frame is filled with an equal measure of balance and grace. Thanks again for the show, uh, Leland Reardon. I... I love it. Every part of it. I think that's phenomenal. I'll just say, if you're looking to maximize embarrassment, uh-huh. that would be it. I, I can't skate. I've actually, I'm from the Northeast. And you can't skate? And I've never been on ice skates. You've never been on ice skates? Nope. Well, how do you know you can't skate then? Because I've uh, rollerbladed oh, and yeah. uh, roller skated. <laughs> and that they didn't that, go the, well? Like the old uh, roller skate rink I mean, back when I was a kid. 
and then I like asked my parents for rollerblades for Christmas, and uh, like that lasted like two uses. So um, the Steve trains with a figure skater thing strikes me as hilarious. Also, tremendously perilous and dangerous for the person training you. Yes, could be bad. The figure skating thing. No, like I mean, just watching me try to play hockey would be bad. We have people in the chat. Are you? Do we have people from North Reading here in the chat referencing my North Reading references? But like, yeah. It, North Reading native here, Massachusetts, and uh, never, uh, never skated. Wow, I was, I'm not good. I know what I'm not good at, so I didn't try. Yeah, I mean, I'm not good at skating, but I can skate. Like I can move around and not fall over. Yeah, I don't know if I can. So that would be uh, that would be as bad. <laughs> okay, as Okay, so that's so. definitely on the uh, on the potential list. Then. And and for the look at that, we have a Wilmington native in there, right next door. Yeah, keep in league. Shout out. Um, so we've got. Nick Wright on the show. He will be on here talking football, talking analytics, talking about his love for Patrick Mahomes, challenging our grades, the whole thing. Beautiful. And uh, a little rugby, or not rugby, World Cup drive-by right at the end. Right before and we're talking Amanda. World Cup as well. He's got some bets for you. He's got a teaser for you. He He's got all sorts of great stuff for you. And this is why the man's so, on um, everywhere. So keep sending in suggestions for how to embarrass Steve, but I'm not. 100%. I'm probably not getting on ice skates. Oh, we got to make that happen. All right, you want to review Monday Night Football? Yeah. Uh, Washington Commanders win. That's was, the loss. That's where it came. That's the loss uh, by the Philadelphia Eagles. The, the, the commanders also ended the uh, 11-0 Steelers undefeated season back in 2020 in primetime on like Wednesday night or whatever it was, right? Wasn't it a Tuesday or a Wednesday? But commanders 32, Eagles 21. I can't decide night. whether this is the thing that I love the most or hate the most about football, which is all the analysis in the world, all the data, the information, the knowledge – None of it can make up for just random-ass turnover luck. True. None of it. So, we, Which is why when you look ahead and you're like, where's the Eagles' loss going to come? You know, where, Where's the loss going to come from on this schedule? It's a bunch of teams that aren't that great. They could go all, they could go all the way, 17-0. Okay, Dallas will be a tough game. The Giants may be still hanging tough at that point. And yet, all the way along, you're like, but it won't. It'll be some random team in the middle somewhere that they just lose to for no reason. And this was that game. Like, the Eagles... Yeah, they had as many turnovers in one game as they'd had the previous yeah. eight. So they, I guess you could say they'd been turnover lucky and then became turnover unlucky in this game. Um, in particular, on one critical turnover where the refs decided not to notice that Dallas Goddard's all, face was being yanked from his head. All that said, that's all true. But remember, the, the Eagles also got a strip sack early that essentially gifted them their first touchdown, and they were sitting on that touchdown sure. for a while. Uh, no, they had 14. And look, it was closer than that. I don't want to main, like make it out like it was only turnovers that impacted this game. Like Washington, 32-21. Okay, the 32 is a bit, you know, there's a sort of fake turnover at the end when the Eagles tried the worst rugby play in the history sure. of the world, uh, and Washington put another touchdown on the board. But the point being, they had some success in this game anyway. It's just, you know, you can never you do all the sort of predicting and the previewing in the world and you can never make up for the fact that randomly one game the Eagles are just going to turn the ball over a ton my big takeaway from this game was um, Washington's offense was was fun it was but when you look at the stats it's like oh that wasn't that good like the stats don't tell the story right from an odd the the run game for Washington 3.1 yards per attempt that's putrid right in yeah. isolation <laughs> but this was uh, Brian Robinson led the way 26 carries for 86 yards I mean this is like Eddie George in 1996 yeah. type of effort, right? But this was the perfect 
distribution of the yardage. It felt like they literally did get three or four every, every single time, run, which right? Which is just enough to which, keep it going. Which is just enough. And then they, at one point they were converting 80% of their, their downs. They're, so they rushed for 152 yards, and the longest carry was 11 yards. So this was, this was the one that the coach loves and literally draws up. Yeah. Which is like, get into third and, third and short. Three get yard. into third and short and just keep converting. Right. And they did, and they kept the Eagles' offense off the field. Three yards so, in a cloud of dust. Three and a bit yards in it, a cloud of dust. It was perfect, and every now and again, Heineke would drop back and convert a first down, and Terry McLaurin is awesome, and not taking any of that away. But from a game plan standpoint, this is one of those where I talk about it's, it's not, this is kind of like a prayer, not a game plan. The yeah. execution of this ended up being perfect because at one point in deep into the third quarter the commanders almost had three times as many plays as the eagles yeah deep into the third quarter it ended up almost twice as many plays that they ran but that was uh, the execution of washington really literally keeping the eagles off the field and sustaining drives and putting points on the board was was just really well done yeah, they, they were able to get to grind out a lot of that offense. And then every now and again, they were able to hit Terry McLaurin on a big play. He absolutely, you know, wrecked a couple of those Eagles defenders. And it felt, again, like they were getting by with this idea of, you know, whatever you think about Taylor Heineke, he does have that Fitzpatrick YOLO type of mentality of, like, just put it in the air somewhere near Terry McLaurin and he'll make the play. And it's been working. Um, and then it felt like there was one too many. You know, he finally just completely heaved a prayer that got picked off. And you thought, okay, that's finally the break that the Eagles defense or the Eagles generally needed to try and get this thing back in charge and then go away from it at the end. But they weren't able to get it done. It sounds like Heineke is going to be the starter potentially for Washington. Even, I don't know if Wentz is back now. But whenever Wentz is back, which is interesting to me because you have a lot of people who just watch that game. It's like, well, of course you have to stick with Heineke. They're 3-1 and one mm. since Heineke took over. They beat Green Bay. They beat Indianapolis. They almost beat Minnesota. And then they beat Philadelphia. And it's like, that was the... Like Heineke's our worst-graded quarterback this yeah. year, and this that was literally his only good game, he and has, that inclu- that's including the interception. So he has five touchdowns and four interceptions, but he also has three big-time throws and ten turnover-worthy plays. Like, he has been living a charmed existence in terms of that luck of heaving it in the air and hoping Terry McLaurin makes plays. But what has happened was, in, remember in the Green Bay game, he threw it to the defense five times, but he made two or three plays at the end, yeah. clutch. Indianapolis, the game was an afterthought and then leads the game-winning drive. Minnesota, kind of on Heineke for blowing it, throwing a fourth-quarter interception. And then in Philadelphia, that was his actual good game. Heineke. And also, there is some value to this idea of Terry McLaurin is their best player. So give him as many opportunities. Lean into it. Lean into the That's variance. what I'm saying. Give yeah. him as many opportunities to make plays as you can. It's like the high end of variance. Remember when Fitzpatrick all of a sudden had um, Eric Decker and Brandon Marshall, and he was just out here going, drop back, launch it. One of those guys will make the play. They're the two best players in the field. Like, why would I try and make plays? I'm just going to put it somewhere so that it's catchable. And they can make the play. And if you catch the high end of that variance, like if those really good players make a bunch of consecutive good plays... That's the best thing you can hope for because, you know, the quarter, that's a, got a way bigger chance of coming off than the quarterback who's mediocre turning into Tom Brady, right? So if you're Taylor Heineke, who I think is similarly aware of his limitations as a quarterback, as Ryan Fitzpatrick, albeit, you know, sons the Harvard education. Uh, but, like, you know, like, I'm not going to 
I'm not turning into Josh Allen tomorrow, right? So if we're going to have success, it's going to be because I'm giving Terry McLaurin a chance to make something happen. And the difference between him and Carson Wentz is Wentz wasn't doing that a whole lot. Like as much as he, it started From week right, one, we were like begging him to do that, right? Yeah. Do that more. And right at the start, like week one, he did. And then sort of from that point on, Wentz stopped doing that. Stopped, you know, putting the ball in the air and giving those guys a real chance to make plays regularly. So there is an argument to say that, okay, functionally, they might not be very different quarterbacks, but that specific difference in style is an important one. Yeah, I mean, it kind of reminds me of early career New Hopkins, where he would have Brandon Whedon and Ryan Mallett, and he had Fitz, and he had all these different guys, and his production was just always there. And then when he, when he had Deshaun Watson, it was like, okay, now he's like the best he's the best receiver in the NFL. I mean, Hopkins. And I feel like McLaurin has that potential, doesn't he? Because he can win. Not saying he's going to be the best, but he can win down the field. He can win in space with speed. He's a great route runner. If McLaurin just... Because he's done this with, what, Case Keenum and Dwayne Haskins and all the different... Uh, with, with Heineke, like with all the different quarterbacks that he's played, just a guy that's going to get him the ball and get him the opportunities over and over and over again and not miss him. McLaurin's got that potential. Do you think that there's anything to the buy-in that people have for Taylor Heineke versus Carson Wentz? Because just like so, I'm not going to just right yeah, now. Right, you've got you know you've got uh, Chase Young bigging him up on the sideline, pointing to the guy's nameplate. You've got the the video comes out of him, a little Kirk Cousinsy, you know, on the plane with the chains and the beers and. It's like everybody loves Taylor Heineke, right? There's something about that guy that people like because he's done it the hard way. He's come up, you know, from a non-spectacular college. He's had to go through. There you go. Look at him. Look, he's living life. He's had to go through the grind of, was it the AAF he was in? Whichever spring league he was in. Or, uh... Yeah, I think so. He had a whole bucket of them. Um, and then, you know, he's on Pat McAfee's show and he's like, he's going to go out there and hit the, like, what was he going to do for the rest of the day? He was going to hit, like, some nicotine dip thing and then bounce and they just loved it my point being people like taylor heineke right nobody likes carson wentz really <laughs> i mean you know do they they don't normally this is the part of the show where i dismiss it but yeah. just because i well, can't, you know it's true even just because i can't directly quantify it uh-huh. i don't know there's there's just way too much evidence against wentz at this right point. <laughs> not even including 2017 when he was with the Eagles and they were winning and he was an MVP candidate and he gets hurt. But Nick Foles came in. Yeah. And, and everybody loved Nick too. Everybody loves that. Uh, that's a very similar dynamic, I think. People like Nick Foles. Whether or not he's any good, and there's a lot of evidence to say he isn't. People he also like played him. great for two games. Yes. But, but people love Nick Foles. Nobody loves Carson Wentz. I mean, that could be one of the... Now listen, at the same time, I'm 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 results oriented. Okay, so let's use let's look at Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers for a minute here. Russell Wilson, as we know, as we say every single week, apparently everybody didn't like him very much. <laughs> yeah, and so but you could also say Russell Wilson was on a team where the defense was really good early in his career. Then they tapered off, but like it, they were fine, mm-hmm. right? They won a lot of games and everything, whether they liked Russ or not. Aaron Rodgers, he has a lot of teammates coming out who apparently didn't like him a whole lot. I mean, they won games. They were fine. They didn't win a Super Bowl, you know, but they were fine. 
So how much it, it still needs to like point to yeah. direct on-field performance, or, right? Or the like the so you might be able to shut up if you don't like a guy and he's playing really well and you're winning, right? Ru- apparently everybody hates Russ Wilson, but Russell Wilson's baseline for like the first nine years of his career was like an 85 grade, and the Seahawks were in the playoffs every year, so it probably wasn't the time to bring it up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it would have been odd had the teammates that didn't like him kept saying it whilst that was happening, you know? Because as long as he's winning games and taking the team to the playoffs, well, what difference does it make? Who cares if you don't like him? Suck it up. Um, And same with Aaron Rodgers. As much as people might not like Aaron Rodgers, and I think that one's more debatable. um, It's all anecdotal evidence, yes. Rodgers gets you to the playoffs every year. Rodgers will get you, you know, it's tough to argue with that. He's back-to-back MVP, et cetera. Carson Wentz right now is a grade of like 63. So once you're a mid-tier or lower quarterback go with a likable guy that has the chains and the bush lights i would just say if the if the results have not been dramatically different in performance then go with the guy that people like who will also yolo the ball to terry mclaren heineke's also the anti-kirk cousins his best games are all in prime time yes yeah he's only clutch yes he throws the ball to safeties far more at 1 p.m than uh-huh. he does in primetime. Because remember, in primetime, we always reference the game he had against the Bucks on the Bucks Super Bowl run where he had a 90-plus grade. That's one of the best playoff games we've ever seen. Taylor Heineke was incredible. Enough to the point where it's like he had shown flashes before, but he had this unbelievable playoff game that you actually were intrigued to maybe see him as a starter going forward. Now, as a full season last year, wasn't very good. But Heineke was primetime there. His first game last year... I believe in primetime was against the Giants Thursday Night Football. He had a shootout with Daniel Jones. He was making some incredible plays in that game. And then we have Monday Night Football against the Eagles. So I think perception about Heineke is also much higher than his actual performance, in part because of the opposite of the Kirk Cousins you know, factor, where Kirk the, always seems to play the worst in primetime, and Heineke's the opposite. Maybe, though it feels like we kind of lost all of that last year. Like, that, that would have been expectations going in, is that maybe you get some high-end Heineke and it's enough and blah, blah. And then oh, for Heineke, yeah. You got last year and you're like, yeah, that's just, it just isn't there. No, because I, I see people responding saying, well, you have to play Heineke. You have to. But I think that's just because like they They just winning. saw one, they saw his one good game out of four. No, I think it's also because the wins. I know, they're winning. You probably roll with the hot hand just in case it is there. The hot hand. Um, what about for Philly? Because, again, I, I'm just going to speak in these vague references. The people, right? Everybody's going to do – everybody's doing their power rankings now, right? And because the last thing we saw was the Eagles losing on Monday Night Football with a little bit of bad turnover luck and some bad run defense. The Eagles can't be number one now. They can't be number one in the power rankings. They just lost. They just saw it Monday night. But they're still 8-1, and one, right? Yeah. Like, how, I mean, how, how worried are you about the Eagles after, you know, one loss, which was inevitable? All. Not at all. Um, I – Look, it's a very easy sort of trope to bring back up, but I think A.J. Brown said something like this, which is like, look, this is good. Now we can stop talking about the 17-0 and idiocy, and we can get we get slapped in the face, and now we're going to get back up and go, go to work again. Like, this is a good thing for the Eagles long-term because you can focus on what matters, which is winning a Super Bowl or getting to the playoffs and then winning those games rather than can we go undefeated? You know, where's the, does the pressure keep mounting? Which game are we going to screw up? Like, blah, blah, blah. I think that's probably true. I, the distraction of when was the O going to go probably isn't helpful. 
So getting that out of the way, getting a reality check that, hey, you can lose games like this, even to Washington. This is a tough league. you got to redouble your efforts and go to work again. I think that's probably good for Philadelphia. That's the annual think piece again, because I was well, okay. I grew so, up in New England yeah. when the 07 Patriots it's were doing all, that thing. That was like a weekly thing, like yeah. the Patriots need to lose so they can learn. You know, right. know what it feels like. It's all like this is all wishy-washy bullshit. But the question is, like, which is more important or which is more valuable or carries more weight? Losing the game and refocusing on, hey, we got to be better than this versus was that a blueprint to beat Philadelphia? Because that's your two options coming out of this game. Is is that a negative because Washington just exposed something? Or is it a positive because now they don't have to worry about undefeated and they can actually go, oh, crap, yeah, that was a problem. Well, let's fix it. I would lean on the latter. I think it's a better thing they lost than, you know, than it's a problem that they couldn't stop Washington. Yeah, I'm not, not terribly worried about the Eagles. I want to wrap up Monday Night Football in a minute, but first, even though Best Ball Mania has ended, Underdog Fantasy is still the easiest and most fun way to spice up your football season with their Pick'em game. Just look for your favorite or least favorite player stats. Pick whether you think they'll end up with a higher or lower total than that number in this week's game, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Pick between two and five players for your Pick'em entry, get all your picks right, and you'll take home some cold, hard cash. It's simple to get started. Just head to underdogfantasy.com or download the app sign up with promo code pff and underdog will double your first deposit up to 100 that's underdog fantasy promo code pff get in on the action today um, so people have cited jordan davis as a mm. big loss for the eagles the big 340 pounder on the interior of the defensive line i did look up some numbers the eagles run defense though with or without jordan davis has not been good yeah. it's basically the worst in the nfl in epa per play allowed with wit or without <laughs> wit or but it's way worse without it's close to 0.1, which is putrid, and it's about 0.05, which is merely bad. But it's something to keep an eye on here. Ben Baldwin had a bunch of numbers that essentially suggested there was no difference whatsoever between yeah. wit or without Jordan Davis. We, the, narrative, also, the narrative is, like, you know, the narrative is Jordan Davis isn't there. They couldn't stop the run. Okay, but they, they you know, <laughs> they only went for 3.2 yards per carry. Like, it's not like they were they didn't this wasn't a chargers game where they went off for like six and a half yards per carry and they were getting gashed left and right like they were doing okay against the run just not okay enough to stop them and get off the field and critical downs like i don't think this is a case of jordan davis is in that game and 3.2 becomes 1.1 and the washington can't get a first down for the whole game you know what i mean wit or without numbers though are fun but they're noisy yeah. I mean, we've, we've done research like, on this, Particularly too. with Jordan Davis, who's playing like 20 snaps a game. Particularly when people are tweeting out random that too. 20 snap yeah. sample ones that just, you know, try to tell a story when it's not really there. So I'm not worried about the Eagles, but, um, hey, the Commanders are right in the mix as much as anyone else at 5-5. Five and five Whole now. division. The entire division looking good, the NFC East. What's up next? Explain the great time? Do we have any other emails? No, I got, a, we got one email. Uh, email. This one from Andrew Bowl, I think, is probably how I'm going to pronounce that. Hi, guys. Big fan. Platitude. Blah, blah. Uh, as a Packers fan, I spelt, spent the whole season lamenting the lack of receiving options for Rodgers and wondering how we couldn't have traded or how we could have traded Devontae Adams. But when I look at it holistically, it doesn't seem like anyone is happy with the trade. The Packers suck. The Raiders suck and have no young building blocks. And Devontae Adams is putting up one catch stat lines. I was wondering... One, if we can ever recall a trade where everyone involved was such a big loser. Hmm. And two, if we had to pick one, who regrets this trade the most? The Packers, the Raiders, or Devontae Adams himself? 
Thanks. I like that. Is this the, the biggest lose-lose trade you can think of? You hear win-win trades all the time, yeah, it's a but is this a lose-lose one? Yeah, I think the Packers are the bigger loser here. Not, put aside that Devontae wanted to go, and maybe they couldn't pay him what they wanted, but just... Well, they got there in the end, remember? The yeah. sort of final reports where they eventually got to his asking price, at which point he was just so fed up with it. He was like, not nah, to hell with you, I'm out. Yeah, because all of our Packers analysis for the last three years was like... Devontae Adams is great. Packers could use a little bit more. What happens when you take Devontae away? That's what's going to make them a more dangerous offense. And instead of adding to Devontae Adams, they subtracted him and multiplied their issues. Like, look at what Christian Watson just did this weekend. You still could have drafted him, I believe. I don't forget the exact picks that they got. But what if you drafted Christian Watson and you had Devontae Adams, right? And then you had this deep thread and your your Valdez-Scantling replacement and all that stuff. I mean, that's how you would give yourself a chance to win that one elusive Super Bowl. Yeah, like their two first-round picks were Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. Devontae Wyatt's barely playing, and Quay Walker is fine, but he's a rookie linebacker, which has a limited you know, effect, certainly right now. You absolutely could have kept uh, Devontae Adams and drafted Christian Watson with you know, just with, go, the, with your first pick. Just go overboard with playmakers, right? Make the Packers offense or, by the so way, difficult forget, that you can't cover you know, Christian Watson, this was his one good game so far. How about George Pickens? Or, you know, there's other players you could have Yeah, gotten. anyone else that you would have gotten to be the compliment to Devontae Adams. Instead, it's like Adams is gone. We hope Alan Lazard can be the one, and we still need to figure out the other three, right? I mean, and so you're in this terrible situation. Whereas the Raiders, the, the issue with that trade at the time, we were all, remember, we were debating are they going to trade Derek Carr right, right off the bat, yeah. right? Because the Chiefs are so good, and the Chargers always look good on paper in April, and the Broncos just got Russell Wilson. Should the Raiders, in a whole new reset, right? New GM, new head coach, the Raiders should be thinking 2023, 24, 25. And instead, they were like, we're going to go get Devontae Adams and make a splash right here. Yeah. So That's my, where the regret would come in if you're the Raiders. My power rankings of regret for this trade. Oh, I like it. I think... Devontae Adams regrets it the least because he still got money, a lot of money. Yeah. And he gets to hang out with his college buddy, Derek Carr. Still has his buddy, yeah. And even if it's all going south, he's still in Vegas. He's still a baller. Life's okay for Devontae Adams, you know? And he's getting, you know, his numbers are fine, like generally. So I think Devontae Adams is okay. Obviously, he'd like to be winning more, but say la vie. Then I think it's the Raiders, number two. The Raiders are absolutely not happy right now, but it's less about because we traded for Devontae Adams. It's more like everything else sucks. Uh, and by the way, did you see it was a report from uh, Bill Plasky, I think, who said that the Raiders can't afford to fire Josh McDaniels. <laughs> They're too cash poor as a team to be able to fire him and hire a new head coach. So he's going to be there for like another year or two. That would be unfortunate if that's true. Do you think it's even warranted at this point? firing him aren't we jumping the gun a little bit too quickly on this yeah but well yes so it's like with urban Meyer, like urban meyer was different yeah urban meyer was in it I mean, as his far as own know, world Josh of, daniels is not going around kicking his players yes so urban meyer was so bad that within four weeks yeah and probably within one preseason right that should have been on the table nathaniel hackett though he's gotten better in this area and like the game management stuff was like so off the first few weeks that you were thinking this has to be one and done right but i don't even think mcdaniels is has, is at that level his problem is he has previous so if mcdaniels was a first-time head coach and it was just going bad i think he would ha- you know it would be way 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 too rash to be like get out of here 
it would be a Browns move, you know, over the last decade plus, where you're just like, next, you know, next guy. Uh, yeah. I also because we've got previous of seeing McDaniels take a team and drop kick it over the side of a cliff, you're like, oh, I've seen this before. Like, I've seen the end of this movie, and it doesn't end well. The other thing I think is different is Nathaniel Hackett was not this annual uh, head coach candidate that yeah. people have been waiting on. It was kind of like, oh, you were part of the Aaron Rodgers, you know, last two years turnaround. Let's give you a job. And maybe even to lure Aaron Rodgers here, potentially. But McDaniels has been on the radar. Like, he has been on the radar for years. He, you know, rehabilitated himself, like, in coaching terms, right, mm-hmm. in New England for years. You're not dropkicking drop, terms, drop kicking him out of the building after 10 weeks, after years of waiting to see what this guy could do as a head coach. No, even, even with this failure over a decade ago. Yeah, so I, to conclude... Sorry, my, my power, the top of my power rankings is Green Bay regret and lamented the most yes. because they have no receivers and they traded away the best one in the NFL or who we thought was the best one in the NFL. Maybe it wouldn't be this year, but whatever. They traded away one of the best receivers in the NFL and have no adequate replacement and all of a sudden their quarterback looks terrible because of it. Can you think of another lose-lose trade? Can I think of another? One of the funniest trade? trades I remember was... AJ Jenkins for Jonathan Baldwin. Yeah, that was, that was like Jenkins. a. Let's see if your failure is any better than our yeah. failure. Let's just swap. AJ Jenkins was the first round receiver drafted by the Niners. Jonathan Baldwin, second round receiver drafted by the Chiefs. I got one. Traded for each other. Randy Moss to the Raiders. Oh yeah, that was a. What Randy the, Moss failed. What in the, did the Vikings get? They got Troy Williamson and Erasmus James. As their two first oh, round picks. Yes, out of that, that is a lose. I think lose. there was some lower round stuff as well, but Troy Williamson to replace Randy Moss and then Erasmus James to solve the lack of edge rusher. So it's the Raiders trading for first round for receivers, basically. Yeah. Raiders yeah, trading yeah. for receivers. So the last never the, the only one the only other fail fail I can think of was the last time the Raiders took a swing at this. What was that? Oh four I mean oh five, oh six? Yeah. That oh, he was with the, the Raiders? Yeah, Moss? The, yeah, Andrew Walter season. at quarterback. I mean, the whole thing was a disaster. It was after that 0-4 playoff run. Yeah. That was a lose-lose. Yeah. Because Moss's value was so bad. Think about this. Randy Moss, the generational wide receiver, his value was so bad that the Patriots traded a fourth rounder for him. And there were actually people criticizing the move, thinking, like, why would right. why would the Patriots bring Randy Moss in? And He's been terrible. And didn't the Raiders eat a ton of the contract as well? Like, they got him for yeah. st- they got him for the fourth rounder and money off. And people still said it was a bad deal. People were questioning the Randy for the, Moss for break. The Patriots. Fourth rounders, throw yeah. the fourth rounder away. Do it, of course, for just like, to see if Randy Moss is good. 23 touchdowns in a season later. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe it was okay, okay. maybe it was worth it yeah. for a fourth rounder. So, yeah, that's a great, that's a good one. Because I was just looking at, like, yeah, you're right. A.J. Jenkins for Jonathan Baldwin yeah. is just like an exchange of... Can you think of any other ones? No, not off the top of my head. Yeah. I mean, the... Um, I mean, even like Khalil Mack. Khalil the, Mack is... I think you could argue that one. Because the Bears for three first-rounders. So it certainly didn't work out for the Raiders because they made a balls out of all the picks. It only worked tremendously well for the Bears either because... As good as he was, A, he wasn't as good as he was with the Raiders. B, it didn't matter. So, you know, I think you could get you could argue that one. It's less clear cut, but No, because you would look at in year one, it was Mac was there in twenty eighteen, right? So in year one, the Bears had the best defense in the NFL and they were great. But I always cite this that their roster got worse and worse every single year. Yeah. And that happens when you lose all your draft capital. So Khalil Mack is always there and it's like, How are we gonna get better? Well, I don't know, we don't have picks. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, they got worse. So you could maybe say that was a lose-lose. All right, before we get to explain the grade, you guys have heard me talk about them before, but our sponsor Symbol has the best offer yet for new users. Symbol is offering a $500 risk-free deposit for new users who join the stock market for sports. When you sign up with the code FOOTBALL, your first deposit comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you're hesitant on joining or simply haven't joined yet, now you can with a risk-free deposit. As a reminder, Symbol lets you trade pro and college teams like stocks and even earn cash dividend payouts when your teams win. Symbol is a peer-to-peer market that took the thrill of sports betting and turned it into the stock market to give fans a new way to speculate on their favorite pro and college teams. And now you can join with a $500 money-back guarantee. So download the Symbol mobile app for iOS by searching S-I-M-B-U-L-L in the App Store and use code FOOTBALL to get your risk-free deposit up to $500. Whether you want to invest in a team like the Giants sitting there at 7-2, and two, or who knows who's atop the power rankings, the Chiefs, the failed Eagles at 8-1, and one. doesn't matter who you want to invest in, you can do it with Symbol. They allow you to buy and sell your team stocks and profit from your sports knowledge. All right, you ready to fire up, explain the grade? Mm-hmm. Let's go. Let's do it. Um, I'm sure PFF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. All right, the first one. The people want to hear how Dan Moore Jr., the left tackle for the Pittsburgh Steelers, wound up getting an 89.6 game grade this week. He gave up a sack and three total pressures, and we know he's a bad run blocker. His PFF grades over the course of the season say so, as does the evidence in front of your eyes. How did he play? How did he get a good grade this game? What was the, what was the impetus for this coming up here? The fact that he gave up a sack or the fact that previously he had not been a good run blocker, therefore he eh, must not have been? A little of all of it. Yeah, I mean, he had a good game in the run as a run blocker. That was it. I mean, that was the, that was the, biggest, that was the biggest part of it. I know you've got some play examples, but I'll just state off the top here. Even though PFF does this, right? We tweet out, no sacks allowed and all that stuff. The sack stat is not a good one for offensive linemen, particularly how we evaluate them, right? The difference between, so once he blows the block, once he has a bad block, grade is locked in, bad grade. Whether it becomes a sack, a hit, or pressure, whatever it is, is on the quarterback and some other things that have happened there. So just because he gave up a sack doesn't actually mean he was a bad pass blocker in that game. Overall, he was a good pass blocker. And from a run game perspective, this was by far the best we've seen from Dan Moore. Yeah, his run game, or his run performance, run blocking performance in this game was crazy. He had three uh like plus one blocks big time blocks big time blocks btbs in our system um and when you watch them they're all great like they're really amazing the first one he got like fully across a whole shade contavis street was lined up on the sort of outside shoulder of the guard he ends up getting all the way across him cut him off on a, a zone play great play the second one it's basically the same kind of start point except Instead of cutting him off this time, he just grabs Kendavis Street and drives him down the line, caves in the line, and drives him, like, off the play. Uh, And then the third one, he gets, like, six yards of vertical displacement. That's the one I just watched. Again, again. against poor Kendavis Street, who wound up with a 27 grade against the run, basically because of Dan Moore in this game. So those three plays alone are 
highlight reel type stuff if offensive linemen in the trenches made highlight reels. Um, and then he had a bunch more like smaller positive grades as well. But this was a really, really good run blocking performance from him. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's a simple explanation. It was the best running attack that we've seen from Pittsburgh for a while. Um, it doesn't always match up with the individual player. But as you mentioned, when you're collapsing the backside on zone, it's, it's opening up the yeah. cutoff. And yeah, they, Moore had some really nice blocks there. People talk a lot about the sort of dynamics of, oh, they ran behind player X, you know. And it, it doesn't really work that way. It's not really a thing. Right. But yeah. this that play where he got six yards of vertical displacement, it was. Because it, the running back literally ran, followed the block that Dan Moore was making. And as Dan Moore drove his guy six yards vertically, the running back occupied that space carried on behind him and was eventually tackled by two guys coming in to the gaps from the side but like that run was the run that doesn't ever happen because the blocks never move six yards off the line of scrimmage so like he literally followed dan moore's block for like a six yard gain on a play that wouldn't have been there if dan moore hadn't executed the block well the run behind thing is silly though because like you're talking about one of the backside reaches that he had he's the left tackle it's a run to the right they didn't run behind him but his block opened up the cutback, right? Because of his great reach. And when you make a great reach block, which is essentially the defender has the gap advantage, they have the angle, essentially. When you win that block, it essentially wins an extra gap yeah. in the run game. That's, that's why they're so valuable. That's some of our big-time blocks there. And so that's what happens, right? You lose an extra gap as a, uh, to defend as an offense yep. or to win so, as an offense legit great 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 game by dan moore jr and in the pass blocking stuff yes he gave up sack that wasn't great but he was also pass blocking a lot and giving up a, you know one sack in that period of time or three pressures is actually a reason a pretty good performance all right what else do you want to do here explain the grade so this one i want to pivot to more of a season-long deal uh and this is going to come up later when we're talking to nick wright um we're just we're breaking the the magic of podcasting from every direction today basically josh allen now leads the nfl in interceptions he also leads the nfl in turnover worthy plays and yet he is still our third highest graded quarterback on the season how is that possible the other stuff has been great (laughs) i mean i think i think the thing to think about when when looking at players is there can be both good and bad plays right and sometimes we focus a lot on the negatives and other times we focus a lot on just the positives and a lot of our explain the grades are saying i know you think linebacker x devin white made all these great plays nsc player of the week did he get it again yeah to be fair he actually this he did play well like he was fine but because you have a once you have a sack and you have some tackles two sacks oh you two sacks Uh okay but what, when you make positive plays and the grade doesn't match up, we're like, whoa, don't forget about the negatives. And then sometimes you have to do it the other way. So don't forget about the positives with Josh Allen. Yeah. His passing grade is down, right? He's sixth or seventh in the NFL. His passing grade is down from the last couple of years, but his rushing grade, spectacular. And that's a big part when we roll it up to the overall. Yeah. It's essentially the weight of positive plays that he's making that are still being counted. And like you said, it is impacting his passing grade more than anything else so if all you're interested in is the quarterback's performance passing he drops from third to what seventh um despite leading the league not just in interceptions not just in turnover worthy plays but in big time throws as well 
So he has two more big-time throws than anybody else in the league. Uh, and that isn't just a weight of um, opportunity. He's got the best big-time throw rate in the NFL as well. So he's at either end of the extreme. He's like, we're, we're talking almost Jameis Winston here of, you know, leading both ends of, the, of, of extremes. But the difference between him and Jameis Winston is the frequency of good versus the frequency of bad. Because Jameis was always high in both, right? He made a bunch of good plays and he made a bunch of bad plays and there was very little in the middle. Allen is making a bunch of very good plays, a bunch of atrocious plays, and a bunch of good plays, but not a bunch of bad plays, you know? So he's, he's, got, again. he's got a bunch of really extremely good, great, good, game, good plays, rather. So extreme positive. Big time plays. Sure. A bunch of extremely bad plays. Turnover worthy plays. Extreme negative. A bunch of good plays, marginal positives, just positives, positive grades, but not a bunch of marginal negatives. So he doesn't have the sort of the bone, just the yeah. random mistakes, the, the general inaccuracy, the general poor. Right. That's what's missing relative to a Jameis Winston, which is what would drag his grade down to rank average. So, for example, this is not Josh Allen going back to being Josh Allen of years one and two. Uh, in his first season in the NFL, 17.6% of his plays earned a positive grade. In year two, it was 17.8%. So essentially 17 18% of his plays were positively graded. This year, it's 22.3%, which is the highest level it's been in his career. So the, the rate at which he's making a positive play is higher than it's ever been. Um, it's the fact that he's offsetting that with some truly catastrophic plays yeah his overall negatives are middle of the pack right it's not among the worst as his opposed to the overall worst. negatives so that's like just missed throws plus turnover worthy plays and that's yeah. nothing right so as a passer he's right there middle of the pack and then i i think you can't dismiss the importance of his run game stuff right as much as maybe it isn't something you want to lean on i've argued that it actually is something the Bills should lean on because you know, this is why you pay him all this kind of money. But he gets a ton of first downs. I think only Lamar Jackson and one other Probably quarterback um, have more rushing first downs than Josh Allen. And they tend to be in really high leverage situations. Like, you turn to Josh Allen for that play when you desperately need it, when it's third or third down, fourth down. It's Josh Allen that's the guy making that rushing play happen. So those Fields, are Lamar, Josh Allen, actually. There you go, yep. Fields. Um, so the fact that he has, you know, 35 rushing first downs are, is a really important thing. Yeah. I mean, he's got almost 500 yards on the ground, four touchdowns. So we're over halfway through the season, but we're talking seven, 800 yards on the ground that he'd be on pace for. We'll see what happens in the blizzard here yes. this year, the super thunder blizzard. But yeah, so Josh Allen overall playing well. Um, also, as Nick is going to ask, you know, do we weigh things a little, you know, more in the fourth quarter versus the second quarter? Not necessarily. Um, so the fact that Allen's worst plays are coming at the worst time, it's not necessarily affecting his grade, but I think, it, but we can add that context, right? And just say, Hey, he's, it, you just added as part of the context. He's playing really well, but there are yeah. issues in the second half or there are issues in the fourth quarter. And that needs to be better. But just for some context, Tua has two rushing first downs this season. Patrick Mahomes, who's rushing is actually, you know, a pretty important part of Patrick Mahomes game, albeit in a different way, has 14. So Josh Allen has more than double the rushing first downs that Patrick Mahomes does, right? This is one of the reasons why his grade is maintaining as high as it is, despite leading the league in turnover-worthy plays and interceptions. 
All right, so one more. Um, I just want to answer one of the questions in the chat where somebody misunderstood, or Martina Davies, I believe it is. So he gives up a sack, and it's a good block. No. Going back to Dan Moore. That's not what I said. No. I said, we're going to grade the block. So Dan Moore is in, in position for a block. He whiffs, right? Bad block. Put a grade on it. And then what that defender does, does the defender sack the quarterback? Does he merely hit him and not sack him? Does he just hurry him? Whatever it is, does not affect Dan Moore's grade. So sometimes you have a bad block and the defender immediately tackles the quarterback for whatever reason, right? There's a uh, there's nobody open. The quarterback doesn't feel it, whatever. But the quarterback basically is not saving the grade of the lineman, right? If he you know, uh, spins out of a sack or whatever it is, that's not going to change the grade of the lineman. So that's why I'm saying don't overweigh the sack number because that number is dependent on the quarterback. The grade, though, on the block is going to be exactly the same, no matter the result. Mm -hmm. So there we go. Um, also want to remind people to get the PFF app. So we got our betting, fantasy, all Sam's great writing. What'd you write this week? Anything good? Well, I wrote a PFF little bit app. about the Josh Allen thing. Oh, you're going to write about it. So we're going to put into into writing as well the Josh Allen breakdown here. Yeah. You and I made our Super Bowl picks mm -hmm. last week. It's all on the PFF app. Be sure to download that in the App Store and get all that good stuff. Sign up for PFF Plus so you can get the total package, everything that we offer here at PFF. Some very cool stuff being worked on for the app. It's, you know, it, it's iteration version one is the worst it's ever going to be, right? So it's only getting better from here on in. And some of the stuff they're working on behind the scenes I've seen and are pretty cool, like the surfacing of PFF data for individual matchups to help you know, awesome. articulate why certain player props are a good value and those kinds of things are going to be pretty awesome. So go check it out in the App Store, PFF app. Also, uh, smash the thumbs up button, of course. Wow. Get those likes going. It's taking you this Spread long. the word. I know, it has. That's why we're down. We're a little behind. Smash the likes, uh, the thumb up, th thumbs up button if you, uh, if you like us. If you like us. If you like us. Is that it for the show? We're going to Nick? We're going to Nick. It's a, it's a pretty, you know, lengthy enough talk with Nick. It's good. Good. All right. We've got a very good discussion with Nick Wright. Don't go anywhere. Do it right now. Stay here right now. Um, I'm not going to wrap it up after that. This is our wrap up, and we're going to finish with Nick Wright. So appreciate everybody for tuning in here on Wednesday. Tomorrow, our Thursday show, we will be previewing all of the Week 11 NFL action. And then programming note, next week, just two shows. Mm. It's Thanksgiving. We'll have our Monday review. And then Wednesday, we will preview all of the week's action. So we won't have that extra third show next week. And we won't have a guest for that week because we got no a, whole bunch of show, a whole bunch of games to get through. Yes, yeah, so we'll so. go through all the games next week on Wednesday morning. We're aiming for 9 a.m. to be live on YouTube. Wednesday previewing all the week 12 NFL action. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Let's get to Nick Wright. All right, we have Nick Wright with us. First things first on FS1, What's Right Show on YouTube, or wherever you find your podcast. Nick, appreciate you joining us. Thank you. This is nice. I got to say, you know, Steve, you and I know each other from the internet, you know, lightly. Right. Uh, <laughs> Sam and I go back. Years. Yeah, dog, man. 13 years. Yeah. Wow. I didn't wow. know that history. I mean, honestly, when... When I was doing radio, I think I was doing middays in Kansas City yeah. when Sam and I first started doing stuff. And now, you know, I um, somehow miraculously host a television show and Sam is in one of the greatest podcast studios that has his own, <laughs> like, face 
right? That hologram, but uh -huh. uh, profile behind him, like the come up is real. So congrats to you guys. And you guys have been able to do it all despite having the world's worst quarterback grading system. So, and I mean, all. it's really Jeez, a we'll testament. Oh, sorry. And I just figure we just get right into that and then we can, we can you know, then we can play next. We, we've been in the studio long enough that, that my picture had hair. So, you know, this, <laughs> yeah, this is this how right. long this stuff's been going on. All right. Let's, that's the elephant in the room. Let's, let's talk. Let's talk Patrick Mahomes grade first and foremost. Oh, okay, yeah. Because you were complaining earlier in the season that Patrick Mahomes had this terrible grade and our system was broken and, you know, it was a whole disaster. And I said to yeah. you that we will start grading Patrick Mahomes better when he stops pitching the ball to the defense. And then all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes stops pitching the ball to the defense, and he's right now got a 90 PFF grade. He's the second-best-graded quarterback in the NFL. He's right at the sharp end as good as anybody. So it works out. Okay. Well, but here's the thing, my friends. So th this all started because I looked it up today before the interview. I was like, where did – because we do go back so long, so far. And it all started because week one of the season – when Mahomes, I think, had like 380 yards and five touchdowns with no picks, so never pitched the ball to the defense. Now, I know what you're going to say. Oh, <laughs> but, he, but he had turnover-worthy throws, my friend, and you're not you're not grinding the all-22 to see him. You had him as the eighth-graded quarterback that week, the eighth. And I posited that maybe there was a fly in the soup in your quarterback gradings. And I got to tell you, if through nine weeks you have him second, I think the fly is still in the zoo. Who's number one? Who do you got number one? You got Tua number one? Tell me, who is it? Tua. It's Tua. Tua is number one. Now, Tua, where's from Josh a, Allen? Allen's third. Third? Yeah. Josh Allen's been the third best quarterback in football this year? Uh -huh. So, can I, honest question, because <laughs> hey, I don't know. Do you get the same grade for a throw that could have been intercepted and wasn't as a throw that actually was intercepted are they are they like the hypothetical so, bad throw and the thing that actually results in an interception you get the same grade well so the word could gets you into trouble there right we don't sort of look at well could that possibly have been picked off if you know the guy Worthy was incredible of being intercepted if it Worthy. should if it should have been picked off then yes the fact that the db dropped it is not going to change so, your grade because it's the same throw right more specifically, well, if, if jo when Josh Allen throws the ball directly to Patrick Peterson in overtime, had Patrick Peterson dropped that pass, it does not change Josh Allen's grade. Right. No, I understand that. So, but the, I guess, and what does, and you guys, do you guys grade, I, and I'm not being a smart aleck here, and I'm not trying to be pedantic, but are, if Josh Allen had thrown that exact pass midway through the second quarter, is it does it hurt him as much as throwing it to lose the game does no. it, like does it does the time score situation impact it? we're not necessarily no we're not adjusting the overall grade for for the situation now where where the situation might come in is in football a red zone decision is different than say uh 
you know, a decision from your own 30, right? So that kind of factors in, like, don't make this throw in the red zone, right. which is, even if it looks identical to one that happens at your own 30. Don't fumble, you know, the snap yeah. to lose the game when you're 99% don't to do win, that. and then mm-hmm. and throw a pick to lose the game. Don't do those things. But hey, even if you do, you still can be the third best quarterback <laughs> in football. Who knew? But I, I actually love you guys, and I just, I, I think you guys, and Sam knows this, have greatly increased everyone's understanding of so many things about football and made us so much smarter on so many things about football. I do fear that on the quarterback stuff, it you guys might have, dare I say, added a little too much nuance. <laughs> that maybe some of it is, okay, so the guy who's running away with the league lead in yards, touchdowns, and has the highest scoring offense, and also I test tells us he's been the best quarterback maybe we've ever seen, he's probably should be number one. And then the guy who leads the league in interceptions, leads the league in red zone turnovers, leads the league in fumbles inside his own one to lose a football game. That guy maybe shouldn't be top three. Like that, again, that's just caveman football, but I understand he throws a mean seam route to Gabe Davis versus the Titans. So what do I know? I just, but everything else, I love you guys. There's also, you know, Josh Allen does an awful lot of positive, like which is the reason. We're going to get to it. Year two Josh Allen. Like, because year two Josh Allen, the negatives were bad his first two seasons right like he was throwing the ball to the defense and fumbling and all that stuff but he wasn't bringing the special to the table I mean Josh Allen still bringing the special to the table including against the Chiefs a few weeks ago like every play does matter not just the 15 that stand out in your head right now that you just listed off no that's fair but is it it, I, I agree he's not year two Josh Allen but would you guys agree he's also not year three Josh Allen yeah, yeah, sure. Three Josh I, no, I think that's awesome. true. I, so here's, you're, I mean, his passing grade. So, by the way, his passing grade is seventh, Josh Allen. But he's he's up there in rushing yes. grade because that is, because, I'm, I'm sure that's I mean, what you we, were going to say. We've, we, due to the magic of podcasts, we're going to have covered a lot of this by the time we talk to you anyway. So I don't want to relitigate it entirely. But there's one quarterback in the NFL who, when you add up rushing and passing, has accounted for, for 80% or more of his team's yards and points. And it's Josh Allen. Like that offense yeah. is built on his shoulders, 90% and he is of their turnovers. Right, um, sure. God. <laughs> but that's why he's no, not I number actually, one by a distance. You know what I mean? Like if he was, no, if he didn't fair. make those plays, and, and and that's totally fair. And he is a devastating runner, and probably one of the reasons that I I view him maybe differently than clearly the majority of the media that is, you know, thinks that it's an argument. <laughs> is he the best quarterback in football? I and I'm not. And listen, I I I am self aware enough to know. That I am, I am the outlier on the Josh Allen opinion. I think there is a legitimate argument. Uh, I think he has a stronger argument that he's outside of the top five than he is number one. But let's set that aside. Uh, there is because he isn't the guy he was in year three. Year and by the way, in year four, he wasn't that guy either. He just was unbelievable the final month of the season. And this year, he has been excellent in four games mediocre or bad in four games and average in one game by by again how i look at it with that said to get back to the running thing he's a devastating runner i just i understand the benefits of that it's not necessarily how i 
value quarterbacks if they are not uh, Lamar or Justin Fields where sure. running must be the almost the central component of their game. Because if I were a Bills fan, I would want him to run less. I would ro- want us to develop an actual running game because it's terrifying for a guy who, it, like Mahomes, it feels like every time he runs, he gets a first down, but he rarely runs, and that makes me happy because it's such a, to me, it, it's such a, for, the season is so fragile based on his ability to stay healthy. I mean, but, that, but you know, the guy that you're standing for, Mahomes, just two weeks ago against the Titans, that offense wasn't doing anything. They had a great first drive, disappeared for three quarters until Mahomes used his legs to convert third and 17 and two-point conversions and all that. Correct. I, absolutely. It, it's a, for, for the guy the guy that, as you put it, I'm standing for, also known as the most talented player in the history of the sport and the quarterback who's off to the greatest start in the history of the sport, that guy. Um, I, the, I understand all that. He uses his legs in a break glass in case of emergency and almost always ends up out of bounds or sliding. Josh is out here administering punishment. Now, I understand he's 6'5 and two, and bigger than everybody on the field but the D and offensive linemen. It's just risky to me. Oh, just, I, I agree. Too much risk. Ultimately, I agree with you, right? It's, because I, I think even as a big man at 6'10 <laughs> pushing 300, I think that being a big man is overrated when it comes to running and health and all that stuff, right? Like Cam Newton dealt with injuries uh-huh. after you know administering punishment. Oh, our time well, playing basketball at the Y, you were just as injured as I was. You know? Oh yeah, being, absolutely. Despite being twice the size. Wait, how big are you, Steve? He's a big man. I list. I mean, if you look at my <laughs> my, my minor league page, I'm six ten, two seventy. I think you're six ten. Yeah. Ish. It's ten. Wait, is it? Are you being serious right yeah. now? Yeah. No. The people. Oh people think that God. I am five foot two because the only <laughs> images they ever see of me are next to him, and I look like a munchkin. Like it's ridiculous. Six ten. I didn't know. Relief I knew pitcher. you were a big yeah. guy, but I didn't know you were. Like I mean, that's I mean historic. All right, sorry, we, this yeah. is not interesting to your listeners. I had no idea though. No, that's interesting. People love talking about my height. Yeah. Top one percent in the world. People here. also think I'm really short. <laughs> Yeah, we should hang out. Think, really make that worse for you. Yeah, that would really make it. I'm six one, and every like the number one comment I get from people who stop me if they watch the show within ten seconds, they're like, "Wow, I thought you were short." But you're probably dealing. It's people. probably the same the same idea, right? You're constantly around former professional athletes that are all huge. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that that's probably right. Is I'm in the pictures with guys who are six seven, right? But people imagine that they're six three. Yeah, that's, that's the right. thing. So people just normalize his size and assume that I'm the tiny one, whereas I'm a normal sized human being, and he's a freak giant. Can, can we put a bow on the QB grade discussion? Did you have something else, please, Sam? Yeah. So I, I just wanted to make the point that I agree 100 percent that the stylistic difference between the two running makes you a lot scared a lot more scared as a fan of josh allen and sure. oh is this going to break down is this going to go the way cam newton went like or is this a very time sensitive thing but until that happens it's really effective so yeah, it's course. a positive thing and it's you know it's you can worry about the long-term effects and whether it shortens his shelf life and stuff but right now it's a really powerful thing like propelling that offense forward no that's there, there's no doubt about that I just and maybe this is more on Ken Dorsey than on Josh Allen, but he went into this week's game with a 
yeah. injury in his throwing elbow. And he's still not only running the ball, he's making tackles after I forget which of his terrible interceptions it was, <laughs> but after one of them. Uh, and like some of that is you've got to you 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 have to recognize your own value. Like it's frustrating for me. I you guys mentioned Cam Newton, and then we can move on. I have advocated for the last eighteen months that the Chiefs sign Cam Newton as their backup quarterback slash actually short yardage short yardage guy QB sneak guy yeah. because Pat's not doing it ago, you know you're not having Patrick Pat do it yeah well right so four years ago Patrick Mahomes did a quarterback sneak against the Denver Broncos and got his kneecap dislocated and got carted off the field and they just don't let him do it anymore and so everyone's like oh my god Andy Reid's so creative at the goal line let me tell you something it's frustrating that they have to do all of this nonsense to get 18 inches because they are preserving Patrick Mahomes obviously Josh is you know one of the best quarterback sneakers except for at his own one yard line uh in the NFL history but there is like there is some self-preservation you've got to do when you have one of these guys. It's also Herbert, who I don't know where you guys haven't graded this year, but I think Herbert is outstanding. But they let him get the. Am I allowed to curse on here? Hell yeah! Uh, they, they, rip. they let him get the shit kicked out of him against the Chiefs. Kept him in there. Kept getting. Kept throwing passes, and then the very next week, they're down seventeen late in the fourth still and he's in. still taking hits yeah. and he hasn't been the same guy since that was some crazy. of that's just bad coaching like you just got to protect your guys i so, agree with a lot of that oh yeah absolutely i, I, I want to put a bow on the qb grading really quick didn't we just do that no no because that was on the running discussion from the we, grading standpoint is, i want to make sure we have is, nick sold you want to have the last word on the quarterback yeah, discussion. yeah. I say yeah, yeah. last word I won't say last word no rebuttal no um i do think our grading does the best at isolating the quarterback from his production I, I think football, because all the stats that we that 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 work in our head, yards and touchdowns and interceptions, it's 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 not always the quarterback. Like we all know that as football fans, we know that a quarterback could throw a screen where a guy goes fifty yards for a touchdown, but he gets the stat. We also know he could throw a great pass fifty yards and have it dropped, and he doesn't get the stat for that. So I think our quarter I think our quarterback grades do the best at isolating the quarterback and his role in production, and over time they're going to match up, right? Like, over t- since Mahomes has taken over as starter, I believe he's our top-graded quarterback. Of course, the production is is at the top, but it's Mahomes and it's Brady and it's Rodgers. Those are the top-graded guys, but their production's going to fluctuate a little bit based off of their supporting cast, right? Uh, Mahomes wasn't as productive last year. He wasn't as good last year. But overall, Not sure I agree. The, right? I mean, and our, our grades reflected that, even though at the end of the day, Kansas City's offense was still pretty productive. He wasn't as good as he was his previous three years. So um, that's it. That's my final word on the grades. That's if fair. you have any other, okay, that's fine. So that's fine. Uh, I yeah, you make some fair points. <laughs> I'd also just you know, I'd probably say he's been better than Tua this year. But you know, you guys are right. You guys are right. You got you got to isolate just the quarterback, or else a guy could get you know Tyree Kill on his team and all of a sudden look like a superstar. And some places would say he's the best quarterback. That's in the context. But that's context. That is viable context. It is viable context. Um, go ahead. All right, now we can move on. So recently on, on one of your podcasts, you made the point that uh, analytics needs a rebrand, right? And I think yeah. this is a good time to bring it up because the pig-headedness with which we've been arguing with you over the last 15 minutes probably is part of the analytics branding problem. But what, tell people what you meant when you said analytics needs a rebrand. 
Well, it's a lot of different ways. One is, it, it, the all of us use our own internal analytics all day long. And it is, the example I used on the podcast is if you are running late for something and you're driving there and you make the, and you decide, you're just doing the math on, should I speed to get there? You are doing a quick internal calculation of the risk reward and the upside downside of, well, the upside is I could get there a couple minutes faster. The downside is if I get pulled over, now I'm gonna get there 40 minutes later. It was the, the risk of getting a speeding ticket or hurting myself or whatever, the reward of not getting in trouble, all those things. That is the same exact thing that is the process of deciding to go for it on a fourth down or deciding to, you know, to go for a two point conversion. It's just analytics has been branded as this thing nerds who don't know football do. So that's a branding problem. Here's the other problem. Theoretically, analytical the, the analytical models almost always are more aggressive than the typical coach, you know, you take the points nonsense we hear all the time because football has been played and coached at such a conservative, almost risk-averse approach forever. It's what people are used to. If it was branded as, hey, here's the macho, aggressive way to play football, <laughs> then I don't think people would have such an aversion to it. And the other reason that to me the biggest problem and the reason that uh, so many people in the media uh, blame everything on analytics and is there is nobody out there and this would be not to assign you guys work but i would love for someone that has the database that you guys have to publish a weekly like almost defensive analytics in this regard here were the five times this week that a team went against analytics, took the points, did the conservative thing, did what the announcers uh, uh, applauded, and it cost them the goddamn game. Here are the teams that could have won if they had gone for the fourth and goal in the first quarter they took the points but instead but we and maybe some places do that but what it doesn't get the talk on shows like mine what happens on shows like mine is the only discussion that ever happens is the, the end of game ones and the end of game ones that don't work right. like when and what people will do is when it works they will say oh yeah well i agreed with that that one i agreed with and so i just I think it's obvious that football is slowly but surely getting smarter. And you guys mentioned when we were talking the Chiefs thing, or we were talking with the quarterbacks, I, there was a moment in Chiefs-Bills. The Bills were down three with about four minutes left on their own 31 or 32. They was inside the 40. And they had a fourth in inches. Four minutes left, all three timeouts, down three. And they went for it. And nobody batted an nobody eye. Nobody batted an eye. Because it's obviously the right call. 
But five years ago, that would have been controversial. And 10 years ago, it would have been unthinkable. So when I say it needs, so we are moving in the right direction, but when I say it needs a rebranding, the analytical community needed to champion that moment. Like, hey, there, you know, why is that not getting the discussion as the Brandon Staley decisions that go the other way? And so I just, I, I think it's unfairly maligned, to, you know, is the short version of my very long answer. There. To me, that's the biggest failing is that it's, all analytics is, is additional information, right? Like pe- film study in the 60s with the reel-to-reel, you know, cut-ups of your opposition, that was analytics. It was just done in a very analog way in a dark room with one of those ridiculous archaic tape projectors that nobody else has. All you're doing now is increasing the volume of information that you're bringing in, but it's exactly the same process. Well, and there is so many folks that are paid to talk about football that go on television and say, but analytics are not incorporating that the other team has Aaron Donald. Yeah. And it's like, yes, they fucking are. Like the, the, the idea that these are that these are stationary models that don't account for anything is foolishness and the idea that any of us are arguing that there should be any coach that simply does exactly what the model suggests at all times what i think people are suggesting is it should be a key piece of information to go along with what the coach's own feel for that game is, what he knows about who's injured, who's not, all of it, to make the most educated decision possible. And if the model tells you kicking it here costs you a half a percent in win probability, then I, the coach should feel like, okay, whatever my gut is telling me is going to be okay. Yeah. And well, if the if it's telling you kicking it here is going to cost you 7% in win probability, then I would want a good coach to only kick it there if he has a damn good reason that he knows something the model doesn't. Yeah. Okay, it, but he doesn't know that I just saw the other team's kicker walked into the locker room and they don't have him anymore. So going up three here is, like, I thought Kyle Shanahan kicking the field goal to go up six when they had fourth and goal from the one. Now, I had the Chargers plus seven, so I was very thankful. (laughs) I thought it was as abysmal of a decision as one can make. The models actually didn't hate it that much. I just, understanding that game and what was happening, I thought thought they had such a better chance of getting a touchdown starting at their own 25 than they were going to getting in field goal range starting at their own inch line. But they won, and that's the other thing, is it is all results-oriented. Yep. And I know yes. that's one of the reasons you guys are valuable, is because you try to draw some of that stuff out of it. But it's very, very frustrating, a lot of that conversation. It's like the the point you make about the coach should always still have some input and the, the kind of gut decision part of it. But it's like people want to lean on that as more important than the information that's articulating the numbers behind his gut feel. So if you go back to your analogy of the the risk reward of speeding to avoid you know to to get in on time right part of that is well okay how often do i see a cop car on this road between here and where i got to get to well what if you were instead of saying like just guesstimate that what if i could give you 
the exact frequency that there's a cop car on that road. Like what people are advocating when they're saying, no, the coach should still default to his gut feel all the time is saying, no, forget the actual information there. I think it's once every seven times, you know, once every seven times I see a cop car, that's the number I'm going with. Okay, but there's a sheet over here that gives you the actual time. That's what you should be using to start with. Then you can make that risk-reward calculation. I mean, that, that, that is a big part of it, right? Because a lot of the decisions are made. I want to go, like Kyle Shanahan wanted to go up more than a field goal, right? He wanted to go up, so you needed a touchdown to score, right? I mean, that's like the thing that's right yeah. in front of him. Um, number of possessions and all that type of stuff. I think the data does a better job of anticipating all the stuff after that. What, you know, what is the likelihood that the Chargers would go 99 yards for a field goal versus 25 for a touchdown, right? All the stuff that you can't calculate on the fly somewhat accounted for. But um, Nick, well, I thought I thought you did a great like, job listen, on the podcast, I, I, by the way. Sorry, just to put a button on that. Um, like, so there, I'm a kind of my real passion is poker, and you know, I've the I've played some very high dollar poker, some on television, some you know not uh, against some of the best players in the world. And in the poker world right now, there is a bit of a scandal. It was bigger about six months ago about some of the best players in the world in online poker using solvers. And so solvers are bots essentially that have run all the potential hands and can tell you, according to the algorithm, the perfect way to play. And you're not, you can study those, but you're not supposed to use those in real time. So the reason I bring that up is these are the best players in the world. And if they did this, they recognize that even with all their hours of study, all of their experience, they would be getting an advantage if this exact scenario, a computer could play it out and tell you, you do what you want, but here's what I would do. And in the football, using solvers is allowed, and people are like, (laughs) why would you listen to it? It's just crazy. It's just so crazy. I love it. That's great. So I, all I was saying was, Nick, I think you've done a great job of, uh, of laying that out. I thought that the 10 minute podcast cutout was a very laid out, a very well laid out case for why it's what we see is stupid when people push back on it and why it just makes sense to just, you know, use this, like use the numbers. Announcers should be up on the numbers and not look at analytics like something foreign. So we'll work on the rebrand. Like boogeyman. We'll work on yeah, the rebrand. You guys work on the rebrand. You guys got to do it. I mean, it's up to you guys. You guys, you guys got this fancy new studio. You got we'll three and it. a half hours of PFF, think... you know, uh, commercial every Sunday night with 25 million people watching with Collinsworth. So, I mean, work on the rebrand. I didn't think you were going to get homework out of this interview. I've been working on things like getting Chris to say mall instead of scrum, or is really what I should be focusing on is the analytic <laughs> rebrand. Look at him getting the right rugby lingo on Sunday know, football, though. All right, so let's talk a little Chiefs here because you are a, a Chiefs okay. homer. So are you are you afraid of the Dolphins yet? I, I know you're not afraid of Buffalo, even though they beat the Chiefs and you, you're not a Josh Allen believer, but who's the threat in the AFC? Baltimore scares me. There you go. Ooh. Baltimore scares me. So going into the year, I said it would be Chiefs-Chargers in the AFC title game. The Chargers... For the seventh consecutive year, yep. have had the injuries yep. from hell. And you just like, it, it, that team, that Chargers team healthy still scares me. Yep. But that Chargers team healthy is like the tooth fairy. Like, I'm not sure it actually exists. Um, the reason I said the Ravens is 
the Ravens play such a unique style of football on the offensive end that if they get rolling, they can feel like they are a juggernaut. And Lamar is one of there are right there in my opinion currently two quarterbacks in the NFL that if Mahomes that if they play their A plus game that can equal Mahomes' A plus game. And that is Lamar and Josh Allen. So that's something nice about Josh Allen. <laughs> like when Lamar is rolling, he's so unique and hard to deal with. You then add to it that Baltimore is only adding pieces and getting better on the defensive side. They, to me, are a truly scary opponent. Um, it's not that I don't respect what Miami's doing. However, I would say if there's any team in the league that might have a specific idea of what's, what Tyreek Hill dislikes and what can bother him, it would be the Chiefs. True. And now, I mean, Tyreek is a first ballot Hall of Famer in my book. I think he is one of the most special athletes in the history of football. I'm not saying they're going to be able to shut him down. But the Chiefs, I think, would at least have some intel there. And, you know, Miami, I, I, I think we might be at least a year early on Miami being a real Super Bowl contender. And I also, you know, I am not yet a full-blown believer in Tua. I'm very impressed with what he's done, but do I think some of that is going to come back down to earth? I do. So, of all the teams in the AFC, it's Baltimore that concerns me the most. Okay, didn't expect that, but I I like the rationale. Um, Before we let you get out of here, I want to hit briefly on Thursday Night Football, Tennessee, Green Bay, the Packers have been a disaster this year, but they just about kept disaster. their season alive last week with that win. How do you think this game goes, and is there any salvaging this Aaron Rodgers-Green Bay offense over the course of the season? I mean, I don't think there is. Uh, you know, we had James Jones on the TV show throughout the week, and he said after Monday that the Packers are going to win 10 games, and that to me is unfathomable. Uh, they they have a brutal schedule the rest of the way. I think that they were very fortunate to win the Dallas game, and I just don't think they're very good. And I think that Rodgers is not an MVP caliber player anymore. And quarterbacks, it can go fast. I think he's fine. I think Rodgers is fine. I don't think he's great. And he obviously was last year and the year before, and I you know I'm not doubting any of that. But I would expect... Tennessee to run the ball 40 times and I would expect I was very surprised by the line in this game Green Bay minus three yeah uh you know I thought that was you know a little healthy and even if the here's the problem for the Packers and the reason that I just don't see how 10 wins I don't even I don't know if nine wins is realistic for them so Let's just keep in mind they had lost five in a row and they were down fourteen points in the fourth quarter. Right. So they were they, they were very very close to a six game losing streak. They have on their schedule, in my opinion, they have two easy games left because they're home for Tennessee. That's tough. At Philly, brutal. At Chicago, I do not think is easy. 
I know Chicago only won three games. I think that since Justin Fields has been allowed to be Justin Fields, they're in every game. I think they're interesting. I just don't think that's an easy game. Home for the Rams is an easy game. The Rams are about to be the worst team on offense in the whole league now that Cup's done. Then at Miami's brutal. Home for Minnesota's tough. And home for Detroit should not be that tough of a game. So I just... I think eight wins is realistic for Green Bay. And even with eight wins, they got to beat some good teams. They could beat Tennessee and still only get eight wins. So, no, I, I like the Titans in this game. And I even if the Packers win, I don't think you can salvage the season. So you're taking Titans, getting the three, and uh, yeah. Titans to win outright as well? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. All in I on Brable's Do you guys do gambling on this show? Yeah, we do. You want we a may- teaser? Oh, yeah. What do yes, you we do. I got a good six-point teaser for you this okay, week. Okay, let's go. So the six-point teaser, I have to go to I, I placed it yesterday. Uh, so we're going to tease. We're going to tease the Chiefs down to a pick em, Okay? So that we've got the Chiefs down to a pick em from six and a half. We've got the Raiders at the Broncos up to eight and a half. So we're teasing them through the three, the seven, and the eight against Denver maybe can win but the idea that Denver is going to beat anybody by two scores it's just not going to happen no, that feels good and yeah. we're teasing the Niners from eight down to two so the Niners have to beat the Cardinals by a field goal the Raiders plus eight and a half and the Chiefs just have to win outright three teams six point teaser plus 160. I like it I, th- I think the Niners are probably the scariest one of that you think trio. the Cardinals are well, listen I, I I'm scared of the Cardinals of Colt McCoy's playing but they <laughs> Kyler hate Kyler game. man that they've, team that team does not like their quarterback they've been more they effective like coach they don't like their quarterback they've been more effective with Nuke Hopkins back though that's the thing they've been far no, more that effective, is definitely no matter true. who is there that's true I, I think the Niners are my pre let me tell you one more thing and I'll go preseason pick and I have this I have this ticket 50 to 1 Super Bowl Chiefs Niners, Ooh. oh, that's feeling good. Very much. Oh, in that play. Chiefs Niners ticket is feeling awful live right now, my friends. Yeah, very right. much in play. So uh, Nick's taking Tennessee plus three into win outright. You don't want to see my. Um, go, go. What am I doing this week for picks? I think you just need a coin flip at this point. That's your <sighs> best hope. So is there a coin flip app? I've Nick, I've ha- I'm having a rough season here. <laughs> you having a rough? So I had a rough start the season. Last three weeks, seven, one, and one. No. I did three picks a week on the show. Okay, I know that I, we have to go, but real quick because it was Sam. Sam, we got 90 seconds talk World Cup. You know, World Cup's on FS1, baby. Yeah. You know that? Uh-huh. It's on Fox and FS1. You know, I'm going to have, there are a couple games that m- the World Cup leads into my show. Oh, nice. I'm going to have like 2 million viewers <laughs> like, because they left it on after soccer. You want us? It's unbelievable. Do you need us as guests on the big shows there? You know, make sure you can keep people? Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'll have my people talk to your people. Sam, do you have a World Cup pick? Uh, I Brazil are the favorites, right? I think Argentina are yeah. going to get it, though. Messi's final go-around, Argentina are going to get oh. it done. So listen, you can get at, at uh, plus 140 South America slash North America to win. <laughs> Europe is minus 190. Okay. So you get you get all the Americas at Better plus 140. I like so that. So that means you get Brazil, yeah, yeah. Argentina, Uruguay, Uruguay, USA, and, you know, the U.S. Uh-huh. Also, you're, the Irish folks in, and Wales are buddies, right? You're cool with them? Ish. You like the <laughs> yeah, Welsh? More or less. No. But it's, it's, more it's than the, the rest US. of the uh, the British Isles, as Steve would say. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what. But I'm saying because we play Wales yeah. for the opening of World Cup. Uh-huh. But then on Friday, a week from Friday, we play England. Yeah. 
So, so against Wales, you're kind of ambivalent, but against England, we oh, got to kick their ass, right? Yeah, it's definitely USA over England. I mean, okay. Ireland will be rooting for whoever isn't England. That is exactly. The... That's what I thought. There. Okay, yeah. that's what I thought. There we go. I wanted to get that in there. I appreciate you guys having me on. No, I appreciate you doing it, Nick. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. We'll have to do it again. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. See you guys. Yeah.